Welcome back. I'm Anna Britton, Managing Editor of Edquarter, and I'm delighted to be joined by Vivi Friedgut. She is the founder and CEO of Black Bullion, a company that provides digital financial education to young people, and which she started in 2014. Uh, She is also a member of EdTech UK, the strategic body for the UK's EdTech sector, and she's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. Welcome, Vivi. Morning. (laughs) So how's your lockdown going? What three words would sum it up? Well, like everybody else, bread. Um, I've also been growing tomatoes, so I've properly embraced my inner um, my inner Martha Stewart. Um, but also books. I've been reading so many books. I think it's the most expensive addiction uh, anyone could have. So <laughs> sleeping a lot more. So it's been you know the lack of public transport need has been awesome. Yeah, sounds pretty good. Now yeah. um, you were a wealth manager before you founded your company Black Bullion. That's a really steady. So what on earth made you jack that in to launch your own startup? Yeah, my parents also thought it was a steady, sensible job and what the hell was I doing? Um, so there's a couple of so there's a couple of things. So I've always been, and I hate the word because it is so overused, especially in, in education, but I've always been super passionate about financial literacy. Um, my, my grandfather died very young and hadn't signed life insurance papers and it completely turned my mom's family upside down. And so she was a very passionate financial educator. So we learned around the dinner table about stock markets and I made my first stock purchase when I was 15. Like we're that kind of family. So, you know, it's always been kind of bubbling away. And then post the financial crisis, um, the fun kind of came out of finance. And I know it sounds pathetic to say that finance is fun, but, but the kind of work that I was doing was really great. And then it became really terrible. It became all about paperwork and, and so it kind of lost all of the fun stuff. And so I thought if ever there's a time to try it, it's now. And I had a whole plan for failure. There was no expectation of success. So I, I've still got like an Excel spreadsheet of who gets what books and who gets what plants and what happens when I leave the country. Um, <laughs> And kind of failed in failing, which is, you know, which is great. So the the idea was always there, but the circumstances weren't right. And then everything came together and it was kismet. Brilliant. And, and so why this particular area? Clearly you felt there wasn't enough financial education in our education system. Well, I don't think there's enough financial education anywhere in our life cycle or anywhere in our in our world um, at all kids kids are one step but financial being financially well and being financially capable is a lifelong journey you and i know that that financial challenges don't disappear when you leave school Um, if anything they become worse and for me there's no silver bullets in life but as much as anything can be it's having your money sorted so that you can take advantage of opportunities, look after yourself, choose a job that you want, support causes that are important to you, leave a bad relationship, leave a bad job. Um, as much as anything can be the thing, it's it's being financially financially sorted. And often that's not just about what you earn, but it's, it's how you spend and it's how you treat your money. And we've got, you know, the mother of all recessions is on its way. And half the people in this country are going to really struggle through it because of, you know, debt that they're not expecting or not having the right assets. So I think it is a global problem right across age groups. So mm. from birth to death. So mm. it's a small problem, mini, mini little <laughs> issue. <laughs> do, do you think young people can be a little bit in denial about money sometimes as well? 
So it's a really interesting question. So we've all got this idea of kind of, you know, the millennials and the Gen Zers being kind of very, um, you know, it's all about Instagram and it's all about, you know, all of those kind of, you know, social media and social capital. And, and actually we've been running uh, preparing for recession webinar sessions with students and, and we've got 250 students signed up to this. Um, our fourth session is this afternoon. And okay, this is a self-selecting group, but they're very interested in building their asset base. They're very interested in kind of building their own building their own capital. And and so I think there is a certain amount of denial about certain elements. So I think people, you know, we've we've always joked about the avocado toast and how dare people say that if I stopped eating avocado toast, I'd be able to afford a home. Not that anyone's getting their avocado toast at the moment. <laughs> um, but but the truth is, the guy who said it was a bit of an idiot in how he said it. But he's not wrong. If you're going out for twenty pound brunches and you're having coffee every day and you're getting your subscriptions to everything and you're going to a sixty pound a month gym, that money does eat into your money. So I think that there's denial about certain pathways of how to acquire good financial foundations. But as a general category, young people are very ambitious and they're very aspirational, and they just don't have the tools and the confidence necessarily to get there. So that's what we hope we can influence. So how do you present this information, this learning experience to them in a, in a way that is appealing? So the first thing we do is we tell the truth. Um, so we're, we're in no BS. I don't want to swear on, don't want to swear in front of all these people, uh, but we're, we're in no BS kind of learning platform. So we do call out things that are not good. So we will say things like, you know, you can you can go for your avocado toast every day, but if you're doing that, it's going to cost you X amount of money. And can you think of better things to do with that? And so we try to make it very contextual, very kind of relevant to people. So taking student debt as an example, we don't talk about, you know, the 50, 60,000 pounds worth of student debt because it's not, it's not a sensible number. It doesn't help anybody to contextualize what's happening in their life. So we talk about the repayments and, and how, does that, how does that impact on your finances? And, you know, there's no point thinking about a pension now, but, you know, the second you graduate and you get into a real job, you know, the pension is important for these reasons or planning for retirement is important for these reasons. And, you know, trying to tie in what's currently happening with how that impacts on you. So the IMF numbers that came out yesterday, most people wouldn't have a clue kind of what the impact is on them, because what does it mean that the economy is going to contract by 8%? Like, what does that mean for people? So it's about bringing it back down to the individual micro level. And then what can you or can't you do about that so you know we do video content we do interactive stuff we've got downloads we've got you know all of all of kind of what you'd expect in an online learning platform but our delivery is very student focused and using kind of examples that make sense to people and i think that's where we're quite different and what would you say is the most common misconception that students have about money that all debt is the same so we'll, we often hear from students, you know, well, I'm already in 50,000 pounds worth of debt, so what's the difference? And the truth is student debt, although a lot of people still don't understand how it works, student debt is 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 good debt, right? Like it's, it's income contingent, you're not gonna lose your home over it. Um, but if you then take a payday loan, because what's the difference, then that that is a problem. Um, there's also, I believe, a misconception that your social circle doesn't drive your finances, and it really does. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge factor. And not not to bash on social media, social media has its place, but people are no longer competing with the Joneses, they're competing with the Beckhams. And that's a real problem. So I think that that's something that a lot of people are not are not honest enough with themselves, that maybe they're buying that, 
pair of sneakers or they're, you know, buying that pot plant, not because they want to, and I'm obsessed, obviously, <laughs> by, but because they need it for their Instagram picture so that other people will think something. And, and that's a very dangerous, we used to call that peer pressure. Now we call it influencers, right? It's a, it, yeah. it's a perception. What, what an excellent point. So you could probably save thousands just by coming off Instagram. Oh my God, 100%, all of us, right? All of us, we're all doing stupid things in order to have a perfect photo. Uh, and and I think that we've elevated the kind of influencer person to being somebody who who genuinely has your best interests at heart. And, and I kind of welcomed when the law was passed that influencers had to have a hashtag advert in a post that they were posting that they were getting paid for. You know, people look at, I mean, I don't know why I'm picking on the Beckhams, but, but when... Beckham was, you know, had her last kid, whatever its name is, and she had this very expensive push cart and there were all these people going, oh, I must get that. And it's like, you realize she probably had that gifted to her. So, you know, you're competing on a completely uneven playing playing, uh, field. And so the question is, are you trying to look rich or are you trying to get rich? Because how you behave will will depend on what it is that you're trying to achieve. So if you're just trying to look rich, then great. But if you want to actually be rich, Warren Buffett drives like a 25-year-old car, right? So um, Jay-Z wears a black T-shirt. There's no, there's nothing special about how these people put their outside vision. Um, but uh, but a lot of people try to look rich while they're living on credit. And that's that's just that's just very silly. It's very silly. And long-term, it's a real problem. Yeah. So what like a wise words. What yes. Wise words, Vivi. And um, Victoria Beckham has been in touch to say that Harper Beckham is the name of her youngest child, if you ever well, need to refer to her again. <laughs> I appreciate that, because I did lose a lot of sleep last night. I was like, what are the Kardashian kids called again? And, oh, I appreciate that, thank you. I can cancel my uh, subscription to Hello Beckham now, thanks. <laughs> Just going back to the origins of Black Bullion, what were your oh. biggest challenges setting up the oh. company? What wasn't a challenge? Um, I think, so I'm a first time founder, um, like really, I mean, I set up a business when I was seven and then another one when I was nine. Um, but this is my first kind of proper grown up startup. And and we set up really at a time when um, when this kind of growth story was, was kind of the everything. And I'm having been in banking and, and being a little bit older than a lot of founders, um, I'm very commercially minded. And I just couldn't wrap my head around this kind of growth, you know, raise a lot of money, get a lot of users, raise a lot of money get a lot of users then at some point try to figure out where the money is going to be made so kept coming up against this um this kind of mentality of no you don't understand how business is done um which was really interesting and it kind of colored a lot of what i was doing so a lot of the the kind of meetups that i was going to and the networking events didn't address my questions which was like how do you get paying clients right so a lot of what what i did in those early days was based on more of gut kind of, you know, well, let's let's just get some people to, to talk about the product and then, you know, let's charge them a small amount of money and then increase the price. So there was a lot of the kind of operational challenges. Um, the other is that education, and I love it dearly, it is a horrible sector. <laughs> it is such right? a difficult, it's such a difficult sector because there's there's a lot of first of all there's a lot of product out there um a lot and a lot of things that are tackling very specific issues but also it's not a it's not a single sector so there's education companies that are that that are trying to to help use technology to help people to learn 
in, in whatever category. And then there is technology companies that have found a home in education. And so for me, those are two quite different categories. So unlike fintech, where it's about moving money faster and cheaper, um, it's education using technology or technology in education. They're very different models. So I think it's a, it's a tough space. That said, if you want to make an impact, you, you can't do better than education in a, in a knowledge economy and in a knowledge era, which is all about, you know, how to get the most that you can out of here. Um, education is everything in whatever format, whether it's formal or informal, credentialed, non-credentialed. So um, it is the most exciting um, we had a student uh, yesterday who sent us a message completely un, like, unrequested. He just dropped us an email and he goes, I just want to thank you on behalf of me and all of my friends. You've completely changed our life. Aww. And we were like, right. And you're like, oh, my God, like, that's why we do what we do. Like, that's why I'm up till three in the morning and drink way too much coffee. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so it does. You don't get that in finance. Right? I so bet you it, don't, no. It's, uh, you know, that's why we do what we do. But it's, it's not an easy, it's really not an easy journey by any stretch of the imagination. You have to have an amazing team when I'm very, I'm, I'm blessed to work with the people that I work with. They could be doing anything and, and they choose to help me build my dream and they've taken it on as their own. And you can't ask for a, you can't ask for a more sort of powerful sign, mm. I think. Mm, absolutely. Cheesy. cheesy, but it's fine. <laughs> no, cheese is good. Um, so you, you've mentioned that lovely message that you had from a student, which um, mm. I imagine will stay with you for a very oh. long time. Um, oh. Can you give us any other examples of things like that, things that have made you, you've gone to bed that night and slept like a baby because you feel like you have done a good day's work? Yeah, I mean, thankfully it happens relatively often, which is great because it is a very hard job trying to build a business in, in education. So you do need that constant like fire, you know, getting your fires up. Um, so our clients are actually universities themselves and uh, the students are kind of our end user, but our clients are universities. And we hear often from universities things like, you know, 30% of students who normally come back more than once to get emergency funding um, are not needing that funding because they're managing their money better. And, and it's stuff like that where it's, you know, it's not just the end result, which is a student feels like we've helped them, but actually money is at the at the heart of mental health problems. It's at the heart of anxiety and of stress. It's it's at the heart of a lot of the, the, the awful tragedies that we see. Um, and so when universities tell us that, you know, there's these, there's these students who have historically always needed emergency funding and now actually they're budgeting and they don't need it, then it's that kind of thing that makes it really worthwhile for us because, you know, running out of money is is traumatic. It's for a lot of students, it's humiliating is a word that they will use. It's stress inducing. It's massively mental health problems. They won't tell anybody and then the problem compounds. And so when universities tell us that we're actually changing how their students are behaving when it comes to money, um, again, like you can't ask for you can't ask for more. I mean, that's what business all businesses should People should go to bed at night saying, I have made a difference in whatever part of the world I am trying to, to influence. And, you know, we're trying to make a dent in a, in a problem that can follow you for life. I mean, debt that you accumulate as a student, if it's bad debt, can follow you for the rest of your life. So yes. it, um, it is a, I, I do sleep very well doing what I'm doing, yes. um, but I can't wait to get up in the morning. So sometimes that's, a, that's, that's the other side of the problem, but <laughs> we, we can live with that. Now, can you just explain to our viewers um, how universities deliver the Black Bullion uh, teaching to their students? How does that sure. work? What's the process? 
Yeah, so it's a so Black Bullion is it's cloud based, so it's completely standalone. And different universities, and we work with dozens of universities in in the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. So we work with a fair chunk of of, of people now, um, which is great. They use us in very different ways. So on some campuses, we're effectively a compulsory part of your kind of parallel curriculum. So as a way of developing additional skills. For others, it's completely voluntary. In some universities, it's something that is very heavily pushed um, onto students who come from um, particular kinds of backgrounds, so estranged students and um, care leavers and caregivers who often need a little bit more financial support because they don't have a safety net that some other students might have. Um, international students are, are big users, although, of course, we'll see what happens now with the current situation. Um, and kind of one of the most popular parts of our product is actually a free part of the product, which is uh, the very aptly named, we're not very creative, um, money ready for uni. I don't know if you can guess what that's all about. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to know. It's such an esoteric name. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's a product that's designed to bridge that gap between finishing your secondary studies and, and entering tertiary education, because often a lot of students don't understand how to manage their money. They've never seen so much money when they get their maintenance loan. Um, companies like ASOS know exactly when your student loan drops. So that's exactly when you get your discount vouchers. Um, and then you've got, you know, Freshers Week and you sign up to every society in the world. And then suddenly a week later, you've blown through your entire maintenance loan. So um, the money ready for uni is, is very well used as well in universities um, offer that in schools and, and as part of their own onboarding. So it's really up to them. Anyone can log into the platform. Um, you just go blackbullion.com and just register. But students that go to the universities that have invested in their students' financial education then have a full suite of products. So different people get a different experience. But our universities are amazing. I mean, we're so, again, we're so lucky to work in, in a sector that is so passionate about improving the life opportunities of of their, you know, of their, their students. So mm. it's a Again, it's an exciting way to, to kind of earn a living and spend your time. Mm, I'm sure. Now, what's coming up for you and Black Bullion in the next 12 months uh, to a year? You know, assuming that the lockdown lifting continues. Yes. What's coming Who up? Knows? Who knows what's happening, right? Uh, so we, we, yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> I'm going to keep baking bread. I mean, that much I know. Uh, so really, our vision for Black Bullion is to be the, the fintech solution for, for education. So financial education, and this is often how, how kind of financial education or financial literacy, as it's kind of referred to in the US, this is often how it goes wrong, is, is education that isn't then actioned um, doesn't stick, right? So if you learn something and, and fitness is such an obvious example, you know, we all know that we should eat less chocolate and do more exercise. That doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, be happy with our bodies in a swimsuit. Like you've actually got to action your learning. And so really the direction that we're kind of heading in is, is learn action, learn action, learn action to actually take people on an action journey, not just a learning journey. Uh, and I think that's really, I mean, that's that's really the next 12 months. There's about a million components to that. But as a as a top picture, that's that's the direction of, of travel. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. And if we could talk about EdTech generally for a little while, um, where are there still gaps in the market from what you can see? Oh, big question. Big question. Uh, I think our biggest our biggest challenge as a sector is actually a messaging issue rather than a product issue. I think there's there's a lot of products out there and there's a lot of solutions out there. What what there isn't is a good and I've 
spoken to a whole bunch of people about this, but we, we're kind of lacking that, that unified messaging of this is important. And for some reason, education always gets sidelined and, and you see it with government policy as well. You know, a lot of money goes into a lot of things and then somehow education is the one that, that isn't as ring fenced as it should be. And, and money doesn't go into innovation in, in education at, at kind of at the retail level in the same way as it does in other sectors. And so I think really what, what we're lacking is not, is not product and it's not innovation and it's not great people. It's kind of a bit more of a unified message around why this is important. And I often point to fintech because it's obviously the other tech that, that I'm connected with. Um, you know, fintech has had an incredibly strong voice, especially in London, with, you know, lobby groups with it and, and people who are the faces of it, who talk about it. There's you know, there's government, um, there's government departments that invite people from fintech to talk about how we can, you know, solve certain problems. Um, education is the biggest challenge that we are going to have as a society for the foreseeable future. There's education and there's there's energy. Those are our two big challenges. Um, we're not lacking for products and we're not lacking for innovation. We're lacking for space to kind of make it a thing. And the, the real step that I think is being missed on a policy level is you see how many jobs and how much money is brought in by the fintech sector. Imagine if edtech got the same level of attention, if we got the same level of press and we got the same level of investments and we got the same level of, although less, I'm, I'm less worried about kind of the investment side of it, but if we got the same level of, of kind of almost respect, if I can say it like that, as a sector, then, you know, the, the country would benefit. You're talking about tens of thousands of jobs. You're talking about, you know, millions of, of beneficiaries who will, you know, earn better and be, be higher level taxpayers. And it's, it's only good for the country if we're not highly dependent only on fintech as the driving technology force. So I hope that answers the question because I don't think we're short of product. I, I just mm. don't. There's, you know, if you want to learn how to multiply or you want to learn how to draw, you want to learn how to tell stories, there's products out there for all of it. Um, what there isn't is the space to get that in front of the, the beneficiaries because selling into schools, whether it's giving it away for free or actually getting money, is is notoriously difficult. Um, you know, getting into, getting into universities, getting in front of parents, it, it's very hard because we don't have, and I see behind you, we don't have that trusted voice as a sector. We're kind of seen as a, you know, yeah. like as an aside and I think that's something we're going to have to change if we want to be a force to be reckoned with and I think we can be. Now why do you think that is Vivi then that edtech is is struggling for the same recognition as fintech what's that about? I, I mean the, certainly London and, and I, I am speaking from London but but the UK is very known for financial services where we're kind of a world leader in in fintech and in and in finance in general right whether you know you've got the you've got the 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 London Stock Exchange and you've got you've got the the New York Exchange and those are like your two big kind of story making financial centers of the world. Um, it's just not been the case in education. And, you know, I think people are very fond of saying the last great innovation in education was the whiteboard. Now, that's no longer true. But, you know, everything is always about revolutionizing education. And, and that's just not going to be the case any more than it has been in fintech. There's no one fintech solution that has revolutionized finance, there's been a lot of different bolt-ons solutions that have slowly changed the face. And and I think education is just a little bit a little bit behind. And I think, if I may be a little bit controversial, um, I think that a lot of people who build education products actually building without consulting or bringing educators and students and beneficiaries into the conversation. So there's a, we've got this great idea, and then they take it to the market, and the market goes, yeah, but really what we need is X. 
So there's no app that's going to replace teachers. There's no product that's going to replace education as a category. But, you know, could credentialing be done better? Could people learn faster by doing certain things? So I think we've got some interesting challenges. I don't think they're, they're insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think that we need to acknowledge that um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff, but it's not it's not cohesive, mm. and we're not selling that story as a sector. And I think that that's that's going to hold us back. As long as that is true, that's going to hold us back. Mm. That's very interesting. Um, I saw on social media that you have recently completed a MOOC yourself. Um, I have been so yes, there, there is a lot of stuff out there, but obviously, yeah. you know, it's finding its way to people like you. How did you research the ed tech that you personally used? Yeah, so um, I'm very proud of my MOOC completion. And it's funny because you're, to one of your very first questions, what have I been doing in lockdown? Um, I'm actually probably working 50% more than I was before, but I have twice as much free time uh, because I'm not commuting every day into central London and not having to kind of deal with, you know, the aggravations of, of kind of all the ancillary stuff that isn't, doesn't feel productive. It just gets you to, to where you're going, gets you home again. Um, so I signed up because I've always wanted to do, I, I did a public policy um, uh, course uh, at, at the University of Virginia, which I've, I've been wanting to do for a while and just couldn't find the time. So there was kind of no excuse. And I've now committed to doing a, a new MOOC every two months, like a new lesson, because there is an there's an enormous amount of knowledge out there. And you just can't learn everything for yourself. You have to stand on the shoulders of, of giants. And so it, I read a lot and I, I use a lot of MOOCs. Um, well, not use a lot of MOOCs. I'm, I'm on the journey towards attempting to use a lot of MOOCs. We'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> um, but I think there are some, there are some exceptional um, ed tech companies doing exceptional things out there for all sorts of different groups. Um, you know, and we're, we're very lucky that we, you know, we meet a lot of people through, um, you know, through our kind of, you know, other portfolio companies, through our investors or, or just in general through networking. And I think that there's people doing extraordinary things. And, and if, uh, you know, quite a few of them are speaking on, on the various panels today. So, yes. you know, you, it's, uh, it's, it's again, it's a very exciting sector. There's a lot of amazing, there's a lot of amazing people. So we're just humbled to be part of it. Well, would you be up for name checking any of the ed tech companies that you you are particularly impressed by that you you think uh, you know have given a masterclass in how to do it? <laughs> uh, so let me think. So I put you on the um, spot. You have put me on the spot, but that's okay. <laughs> okay, um, I don't mind. So there's a couple of, of U.S. companies um, that that I think are doing really interesting things. Um, so there's a company called Degreed, um, which are doing who are doing kind of blockchain credentialing, which I think is really interesting. Um, I think they've just started to enter the the UK market, which is going to be interesting to see how that works. That really aligns with my view of lifelong education. Uh, I think that we have to again, we have to rebrand educate. See, there's so many things I think we should be doing, um, but I think we need to rebrand education because there is this idea that education is what happens when you're in school and when there's somebody lecturing at you. And actually, you and I both know education doesn't stop. And with automation coming, um, you better all learn how to be more human and how to be more creative and how to communicate better because that's actually where the problem is going to be. So um, anyone who's trying to tackle soft skills, um, I think is going to have an exceptional era because I think that's where the real challenges are going to be. And um, kind of adaptab adaptability and learning how to learn, I think is going to be really, um, really important. I mean, you know, um, our friends at Pelego are doing some great work in terms of um, digital textbooks, which I think, again, is uh, is a really interesting um 
a really interesting solution to a problem that didn't exist until quite recently. So, you know, they're, they're just a little bit ahead of the game on that. So, so I really, I rate those guys. I also think they're just good guys, which, um, which, which always kind of helps. Um, and I'm, I'm now a fan of all the, of all the MOOCs, although I have no idea how they're ever going to achieve um, what they set out to achieve, given that, you know, I did a UVA course for 30 pounds. Like, I just don't know how you ever kind of break out financially like that. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff to come. But I think some of the most exciting things are, are yet to be developed um, because there's no easy solutions to some of these problems. The future of work is a, is a huge question mark. Nobody knows what it's going to look like. And so we don't know what we need to do in order to get there. Certainly. Um, so this brings me to my final question, which you, you have partly answered already, but um, how do you see EdTech evolving over the next few years? Um, now that it's taken center stage due to COVID-19, what happens next? What do you think will happen next? Well, I think the first thing that needs to happen is people have to deliver on their promises. Um, you know, there's been this rush to, um, to absorb sort of technology into education because people have taken a digital transformation journey that should have taken five years, six years, and they've done it in six weeks. And 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 now the companies that have kind of thrown free offers and, and um, you know, their solutions that'll solve all of your problems, they now have to deliver on that. And if they don't, it's actually gonna set us back by X number of years because people will be like, well, I tried this ed tech thing and it didn't work for me. And that's why we're always talking about, you know, under promising and over delivering, not the other way around. And I fear that there is an element of that that's happening. Um, I think one of the challenges that we've got is that we are trying to create for an unknown future. Um, and I think that that is a really interesting challenge, uh, not just for us, but for, you know, for a lot of technology sectors. So we know the future of work isn't going to look like the past of work. We know that that's, that's, not arguable. But what does that mean? You know, what does the fact that we're probably going to see people moving away from cities because with COVID, a lot of people are now working from home. What does that mean in terms of learning if you're going to be getting your CPD in different ways? If, you know, computers get to the point where a lot of coding becomes a kind of blue collar job that, that you know, that, that the robots are doing themselves, which doesn't seem unreasonable. How do you train people into the soft skills that are so important? So how do we prepare people for an uncertain future when that future is changing at a rate that we cannot possibly begin either imagine or control and change is happening too fast for us to be able to keep on top of. And I think that's a I think that's a, a whole person challenge, not just an education challenge. Mm. But I think that that's where education, it, it kind of has to go if we are going to live up to the promise of technology supporting education. We can't go backwards. No. We, we know. Um, but if we don't deliver on our promise and we don't respect the ultimate app, which is the teacher and the educator, and we don't build for the student, but we rather build what we think is currently sexy, um, then we're going to fail in our mission to, to create a knowledge economy. And that'll be on us. And it'll be a terrible shame. Yeah. But uh, but that's I think we've got big challenges ahead of us, because whether they acknowledge it or not, education is the tip of the sword in terms of growth and potential. And, and we have to achieve that. There's 600 million students who are counting on us. Absolutely. So, small challenge, small challenge. <laughs> yeah, no sweat. Um, no sweat. That, that, that's all we've got time for, I'm sorry. Um, however, everybody watching, you can find out more about Vivi and Black Bullion by going to blackbullion.co.uk. She's on Twitter 
at oh my god we're now .com. it's very exciting we got our dot com no that's absolutely fine. it was uk right until it was yeah. it was we recently got the dot com it was a huge achievement we're very happy so yeah blackbullion.com blackbullion.com she's on twitter at vivi friedgut thanks again to vivi friedgut from all of us here at ed porter